past uh, few weeks, we've been in a series called Your Christmas Story, and we've been rereading this familiar Christmas story through maybe a new lens, and that lens is your life. When we watch a movie or when we read a book, we, we identify with the protagonist, with the hero in the story. You know what I'm talking about, like whoever the, the lead is or some character and, and that we identify with. And we kind of find ourselves in that story. And if we're watching a movie, somehow, like we kind of, in our minds, we kind of end up on that screen emotionally somehow. And we journey along with that character. And as we do, it's a journey towards self-discovery. In a good movie, a good book, we learn more about ourselves as we journey with those characters. And so that's what we're trying to do with this familiar Christmas story. And so uh, that's where we're headed tonight. Let's watch this uh, quick video. If you're familiar with our church at all, you know that uh, we're different than a lot of churches, we, and it's, it's on purpose, some, some ways probably not on purpose, but on, it's on purpose in this way at least, that we believe that thinking people can take the Bible seriously. We realize that there are a lot of thoughtful, compassionate people who maybe they're interested in Jesus, they like Jesus, and, and maybe they have a spiritual background, maybe they don't, but um, when they look at religion in America... They see something that doesn't quite match up with their picture of Jesus. And they think, well, if that's what religion is, then I just don't, I don't want to have any part of that. That's not what I need in my life. And so we want to be a church where thinking, compassionate people can be a part of a community and can look at tough questions and read the Bible again through new eyes and, and not have to check their brains at the door. Not have to pretend that they're not thinking people as soon as they come in and, and just accept whatever the pastor says or whatever they've been told in the past. And so we think, we say here, thinking people can take the Bible seriously. And what we mean by that is when you look at the Bible in its historical context, read it for the time that it was written in, and considering its, its context and how that time is different from ours, then you can get meaning from it in ways that can be surprising and really like happy surprises like Bob Ross happy surprises when you when you read and and it can it can now mean something to you that for a lot of people they never really thought it could mean if you're anything like me you know growing up I had a, an idea of the Bible is just something that's just completely foreign and archaic and has nothing to do with my life and it's used as a club to beat people over the head most of the time and we're trying to do something different in this church and so that's where we're coming from tonight we're we're rereading the Christmas story and this evening we're visiting the manger where Jesus was born. We're going to look at some footage from the Holy Land and talk about the different people who were there in the Christmas story. And I realized for some that because of skepticism or just ideas that you have about the Christmas story, it may be hard to take the Christmas story seriously. And it's something we just kind of pass off like a Hallmark movie. Isn't that nice? And, and we just kind of leave it lay for the rest of the year. But perhaps as thinking people who do want to understand the Bible in the light of its historical context, we can, we can see it in a new way tonight as we visit the manger. And specifically tonight, we're going to talk about what the Christmas story can mean when we disagree with somebody or when we disagree with maybe a group of other people. 
Maybe there are people in our, in our family, our friends that we have conflict with, or, or work we have conflict with. Imagine, let's just say there was a country that had a lot of political disagreement. Just go with me for a moment. And we can think about what the Christmas story might mean for us in a society full of disagreement. So a friend told me a couple of weeks ago about a, a show, and it's, it's being pr- produced by some Canadian channel, but... Um, the, the show is called Catwalk, Tales from the Cat Show Circuit. And it's a documentary produced in Canada following around cat owners to various cat shows. Did you know there was such a thing as cat shows? And so they're, they're, they're following around these cat owners and, and uh, chronicling their experience as they're in this... It's super competitive, if you didn't know that, by the way. And, and their experience of competing with each other in these cat shows. So I just want to show you the trailer real quick. It's like a minute long. Catwalk, Tales from the Cat Show Circuit. Let's check it out. Did you hear the line in there when the one lady said, you, you have to admit, we're all human and we have some arch enemies. It's a cat show. And they're using the word arch enemies. It tells us something about our lives, doesn't it? And about human nature. And about how we deal with conflicts. And, and we know the truth that we are living in a very polarized, divided time. And we probably all feel the anxiety of that to some degree. We're living in the so-called culture war that's been going on for really most of my life, the past 40-some years. And we just feel that. And now we're going into a presidential election year coming up, and, and that's probably just going to increase that sense of division and that sense of anxiety. Of course, we also experience disagreement in our personal lives. We have the, the kids in grades one through six in with us tonight, and you know how easy it is to disagree with your siblings or maybe your parents, and, and your parents probably feel the same way, by the way, sometimes, and, and maybe there's sibling rivalry. Maybe some of us have a difficult time during the holidays because we're kind of put in proximity with people that we have disagreements with. So what could the Christmas story mean to us? So I want to read... The old familiar passages, one from Luke, one from Matthew, and you can follow along on the screen. So this is Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the, in the uh, town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then the second scriptures from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star... When it rose and have come to worship him. So the old familiar Christmas story. And again, maybe for some it's difficult to to take it seriously, to think about it deeply, to enter into that story. But we'll see what that story could mean for us here tonight. 
So first of all, the, the first Christmas took place in a world that was full of disagreements. A polarized world full of conflict. Jesus was born in what is now Israel. You know this. It had been conquered by the Roman Empire. It was an occupied land. The people of what is now Israel, Palestine, they wanted to drive the Romans out. They wanted to defeat them. There were people ready to take up arms. It, it was, uh, it was at, a, at such a fever, a fever pitch that their war could break out. And there were people who tried to create violent you know, skirmishes and drive out the Romans. There was constant tension in politics. Taxation was high. And there was a widening gap between the rich and the poor. There was no middle class. The people who were farmers farmed. They, they rented farmland that they used to own. When the Romans came in, they took the farmland from the people who owned it. And then they said, well, you're going to farm it, but now you're paying rent to us. And so while that land used to sustain them, now they're paying, they're paying somebody to farm their own land. And this sense of injustice, this sense of how could this happen to us? How could this happen to our country? How could we end up in, in, in a situation like this? And you, can, you could see, I think, how you know, different feelings would come up in people about how to deal with that conflict, either you know, politically or with violence. And there were many religions in the Roman Empire. And, and for the Jewish people here, of course, the people that Jesus comes from, they saw the Romans as uh, really uh, attacking their religion. And so they wanted religious freedom, and, and the Romans uh, practiced a different religion and saw the world differently than they did. And the Jesus was born into a theocracy when there was a fusion between religion and politics. The political leaders were also religious leaders, and the religious leaders got really involved in politics as well, and, and the religion of Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were viewed as too political and hypocritical. You know, just imagine what that might be like in a country. That's the time that Jesus was born into. And Luke tells us it was into this pessimistic, divided culture full of disagreements, full of fighting full of conflict, that Jesus was born. And there are some misconceptions about the birth of Jesus. We're, we're familiar with Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and there was no room for them in the inn. And so they went to a stable, and, and the word that we use to, to tra translate into inn in English, it's probably not really a hotel. There weren't that many hotels in, in their time. What probably happened was that they, they went to stay with one of Joseph's relatives, since his family members were from Bethlehem. And I have a photo of a typical layout of a house in the first century. And you see the kitchen up there at the top, and then a bedroom to the right, and then you have the, the cataluma. It is in, in Greek, the upper guest room, the upper room. That's where the guests stayed. If they were coming to your house, uh, that's where they would stay. And then there at the bottom, you see you know, stairs going down to the stable. And so the word that we translate in is really the Greek word kataluma, and it probably means guest room. So it would have worked out something like Mary and Joseph went to stay with a relative, and there was no room in the guest room. So Mary had to give birth to the baby Jesus in this stable. I have a picture of what a home may have actually looked like during that time. And, uh, of course, you see they're, they're using some materials that they wouldn't have had back then. It would have been made of completely stone, but you see that cave that the arrow was pointing to. That would have been the stable. And so the, the guest room was full, and Mary had to give birth to the baby Jesus in what was essentially the garage. 
where they kept farm animals. And it's like an ox or a donkey. And you would imagine what that would, that would be like. And so Mary had hopes and dreams for her life. And, and now her life is going like this. And I'm sure there were some disagreements between her and God from time to time. Uh, between her and Joseph and, and others. But Jesus was born in a place where animals were kept. And um, now the place where Jesus was born is um, covered by a church. It's called the Basilica of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And so somebody has, they, they had a cave where they believed in the first century that Jesus was born. And they started to pay homage to Jesus at that place. And then eventually they built a church over that. And I have some silent footage of, of that, that church, the Basilica of the Nativity. And when I was there in 2012, it looks more like a fortress to me than it does a church because of all the conflict over the centuries there. But this is a door you go in. It's called the Door of Humility. Everybody has to crouch down to get inside the church. And, and you can just imagine, as you look at this building, it was first built in 327, and then there was a fire, and it was rebuilt in 565. That's how old some of this part is, and they've renovated and added to it. You can imagine people from all over the world whose skin color looks different and who speak different languages and they have different political situations and they have different views of the world. You can imagine them coming together every year around Christmas time here at the Basilica to worship Jesus. When I was there, there were people shoulder to shoulders, completely packed. I heard I don't know how many languages. There was people there from all over the world. Then you descend this flight of stairs down towards the cave where it's believed Jesus was born. It's called the Grotto of the Nativity. And uh, you'll see there's a star here in a second. There's a star uh, in that grotto. It's down, down below there. And then people will kneel down and touch that star. And it's believed, we don't know for sure, of course, but it's believed perhaps that's where Jesus was born. They'll touch that star. And then there's actually a hole in the middle of that star where you can reach through and you can touch the ground where the earliest Christians believed Jesus was born. And people from all over the world in so many different situations with so many disagreements come to this place to worship. The first Christmas took place in a world a lot like ours, a world full of disagreements. But people who disagreed with each other met at the manger, just like just like today, people who disagreed with each other met at the manger. And the Christmas story tells us about uh, two of those groups. One were shepherds, and one uh, group was called the Magi. So shepherds, in this time, were the poor. They were the lowest of the low in the socioeconomic ladder. Shepherds were viewed as migrants. They were migrant workers. And the reason for that is the shepherds led their sheep. They didn't own enough land where their sheep could graze and it would keep the sheep alive. So they had to take their sheep onto other people's land. And you could imagine if you're a landowner and, and, and you see a flock of sheep coming across your land and you might feel like they've trespassed. You might feel like they shouldn't be there and you would like to keep them out. And, and there's a disagreement. There's a conflict between us and them. And these people are coming into our land and they're taking something that's not theirs and and you can imagine the feelings, the, the disagreement, the conflict that, was, uh, that surrounded shepherds. The attitude of the people was, you shepherds, get off my lawn. We don't, we don't want you here. And it was to these people 
the very first people who ever heard the good news about the birth of Jesus, uh, when the angel came and, and, and the angel proclaimed to these shepherds, the lowest of the low, these migrant workers with no land, I have good news for you. Today in the, in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. And these people who probably feel like they have nothing in this world, people who are used to being looked down on and, and, and being an object of shame, they now have this announcement. And I, I don't know how you feel about miracles, and that's all, that's all up to you. But when we take a look at the historical context of this story, I think you don't have to use much imagination with me, do you, to see how this story could apply today. And so the shepherds came to the manger, these poor migrant shepherds. And there was another group. Matthew tells us about the Magi. The Magi were not the poor. They were not the underclass. The Magi were likely elites. They were educated. They were likely wealthy. They brought expensive gifts to the baby Jesus. And they're not from that area. They're from a land that's far away. They were probably Zoroastrian priests. They're probably Parthians. What today would be Iran. And so these Iranians of a different religion, a different ethnicity, and, and the people of Palestine had wars with the Parthians. These were, these were geographic enemies, geopolitical em- enemies, who came to worship Jesus. And the angels did not appear to the Magi. The Magi came looking for something. They were rich. They were educated. They had what everybody believed should make people happy. And they came looking for something. And they're here in the Christmas story to tell us that the birth of Jesus and what God was doing in the world is bigger than one religion or one people or one geographic area. Once again, I don't know how you feel about a star guiding wise men. But they're here in the story to tell us that God and goodness and what can make the world better is bigger than the sign above the church door. It transcends even religious labels. It transcends class and status and education levels. And at the manger, we have these two groups of people gathering, these poor migrant worker shepherds and these rich educated elites And it's kind of like what happens at the manger is the good news about the birth of Jesus. It lifts the shepherds and it brings down the magi a little bit to where they're now on level ground. These two groups that are not on level ground in the world and in our world of conflict and polarization, when they come to see Jesus, they're brought to level ground. And so what is the meaning of the manger. Well, God humbles himself enough to be born in a garage. And then the good news is announced to these, these dispossessed migrant workers who are treated like garbage. And then it's also an invitation to not just the down and outers, but the up and outers. People who have everything that should make them happy, but they're looking for something. And they come looking and they find something worthy of their lives worthy of their devotion, worthy of their gifts, their time at the manger. And so perhaps overcoming division 
and disagreements and conflict looks something like lifting the poor and for the rest of us humbling ourselves enough to share a common experience with people with whom we disagree. Remember the door of humility there at the, at the Basilica of the Nativity. Everybody had to crouch down and get on the same level to walk in to that building. Perhaps the meaning of the manger for us in 2019, at least one of the meanings, is to humble ourselves enough to, sh- to see what we share in common with the people around us, even the people who really have nothing to do with us in this world, like shepherds and magi. But we can, we can find some common ground with them. I think that's true of politics and the culture war. It's also true of conflict that we experience with family and friends. And maybe that's weighing heavy on your heart. I don't know exactly what tomorrow will be like for you or what New Year's Day is like for you or Thanksgiving, but you know, no matter what the conflict is, we can humble ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that all conflict is brushed under the rug. It doesn't mean that everything that happens in this world is okay. It doesn't mean that everything that happens in our society is okay. Silence only helps the oppressor. How many of you know that's true? How many of you know that's true? And so, no, it's important to speak out. It's important to vote. It's important to protest. It's important to say things that are important. And that's how those shepherds get lifted, by the way, is when good people speak out. But it's also uh, true in our, in our personal lives. When people hurt us, there are times when reconciliation is not possible. I'm not, I'm not a pastor who just acts like it, you know, everything's just easy, and if you have this conflict in your life, this disagreement or this pain, maybe it goes deeper than disagreements. I'm not, I'm not pretending that that can just easily be solved. Hey, let's just love everybody, and, and, and everything just turns out you know, with a happy ending all the time. So that's not always the case. But... Really, Paul says, as far as it depends on us, we can choose to live at peace with everybody. As far as it depends on us. And it may be that you kind of clean your side of the street, and they don't do the same thing. Maybe they're not interested. And so I'm not meaning that you should subject yourself to more pain with people who aren't trustworthy or people who are going to hurt you again. Or Jesus said, don't cast your pearls to swine as well. And that gets to some of that. But there are things that happen to us in our lives that cause disagreement, that cause conflict. And there, there are times when it's so painful we really can't go back to that. There are other times when maybe, maybe we could. And it requires humbling ourselves. I wonder what that would look like in our country as we look at 2020. If more of us as Americans decided, you know, we, be, we believe things that are important and we want to speak out about those things. And we're going to vote and we're going to express ourselves and we're, we're going to say what we believe is true. We're going to speak out. And at the same time, disagreement doesn't have to equal hate. Disagreeing with somebody doesn't mean that we look down on them. Why? Because the shepherds were lifted and the magi were brought down a little bit. And we're all on level ground. What would that look like? in our world in 2020. Well, James Corden is the host of The Late Late Show on CBS, comes on right after Colbert. And he's most famous probably for carpool karaoke. Have you seen carpool karaoke? Where he'll like have celebrities in the car with him and they sing, they sing songs together. The latest recurring bit on his show is called The Crosswalk Musical. I don't know if you've seen these or not, but so he, he's a musically inclined guy and so his, his bits seem to be you know, about music. And so what they're doing with the Crosswalk Musical is he assembles a cast from a, from a musical or a movie, 
and they just pick a street in L.A., and they have props, they have costumes, and they run out into the crosswalk while the light is red, and they perform something from that musical or from that movie, and then as soon as the light turns green, they run back to the curb again. And so you imagine, you know, it's L.A., so maybe you expect things like that, but, but it's, it's awesome to see you know, these guys run out, they have this performance, and then they run right back. One that I saw recently, I wanted to show you real quick, was uh, a crosswalk musical based on uh, Frozen with the song Let It Go. And so they actually took the, the cast of Frozen, the voices of Frozen, and assembled them together and put on a crosswalk musical. Let's watch. I didn't know this until recently. James Corden grew up essentially a pastor's kid in London. He was part of the Salvation Army Church. And they're the people with the red kettles. You probably know they're a church, actually. And James Corden's parents were leaders, officers, they call them, in this church, in the Salvation Army in London. He said the first time he realized he wanted to perform, he was four years old, and it was his little sister's baptism. And they got up on the stage, and he couldn't see, so he stood on a chair, and he just, like, goofed off and made faces during his sister's baptism. And that's when he knew he wanted to be on the stage. But, so he grew up in this evangelical Christian home in the Salvation Army. And he said as he got older, his views started to change. And his parents really didn't. They, they are evangelical Christians in the Salvation Army. They still are. He said, but over time, his views started to change. And he uh, told an interview about a time where he was sitting down with his dad just a few years ago. And they were kind of having a heart-to-heart about you know, Hollywood and religion and, and his career and... and uh, and his dad sees the world differently than he does. And, and James said to his dad, you know, I, I just don't know that I have the same beliefs that you have. So I believe in God. I believe there's something out there. I have some kind of faith, but it's just different than yours. And he wasn't sure how his dad would respond to that. Like James Corden, he mentioned science. He's like, I believe in science. And it's sad to me that a person feels like they have to choose between science and faith because we don't, we don't believe that here. But James Corden, it was did apparently or does and and that was a part of his conversation with his dad and he said he wasn't sure what his dad was going to say and um, he said instead of coming down on him like he thought he might uh, or be disappointed he said and his dad's name is Malcolm his parents are Malcolm and Margaret Um, he said his dad Malcolm looked at him and he said you know James I don't know a lot of the answers about those things either And he said that humbleness shown by his dad and a lot of conflicts that we face are generational. Let's be honest in America. But that humbleness shown by his dad made their relationship possible. He can have a relationship with his parents now, his evangelical Christian parents, because he he wants them to be in his life. He's not just rebelling and running away. He wants them in his life. But because they were willing to be open and humble about their own faith and their own questions and it made a whole new relationship possible so now if you watch his show his parents are guests on his show all the time he sends them out as commentators or like correspondents I guess you would call it it's like to the Super Bowl or the National Championship game or the Oscars or the Tonys I have a picture of Malcolm and Margaret that's an open-minded pastor right there this I, I'm guessing this was the, the National Championship game a couple of years ago when Gonzaga was in go Zags there's Malcolm and Margaret and they're and they've been on you know, the show so many times. His dad plays saxophone. The Salvation Army is really big on music, being able to play an instrument. So his dad's played sax on the, phone, or the, on the show before. And, and they have a relationship 
because they were, they were willing, just like the shepherds and the magi, the shepherds come, come up a little, and the magi come down a little bit, and there's, there can be some kind of meeting, some kind of common ground shared. So even though they see the world a little differently, James Corden loves his parents, and he wants them in his life, and his parents have different ideas about the world, but they're open and humble enough to meet him where he is. And maybe that's what we can learn from as a country. Maybe that has something to say to us in our own lives when we think about entering into the Christmas story and what it can mean for us. So we have a presidential election year coming up. And if you follow news, you know it's getting worse now and it's only going to get worse. The disagreement, the conflict, the polarization, this could be a really, really tough year for America. And even if you don't follow politics, it still has an effect. It has an effect on how we all feel. And so as people who want to follow Jesus, one of the opportunities we have is to, to really think deeply about how we love our neighbor, and Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we love our neighbor who votes differently than we do? How do we love our neighbor who disagrees with us? How do we love our neighbor when we hear them say something about politics in the world? We're like, what? Like, how, do you, how does that person even think that? How is that possible? How do, how do we love our neighbor? How can we talk about things that matter without disagreements leading to hate? Disagreements aren't bad, but it's when the disagreements lead to treating somebody as though they're less than. That's when they become harmful. But how can we model what it looks like as followers of Jesus to talk about things that matter, but in a way that doesn't just put the other half of the country off, that doesn't just alienate everybody? And some of you are like, I don't know if it's possible. Maybe we're too far gone. But I would, have to, I would have to suggest that we're going to have to find a way. We can't keep going the way that we are. So what we're doing is beginning January 5th, a week from this coming Sunday, we're starting a new series of sermons called We Have Issues 2020. The title's meant to be a little funny, but the, the series is going to be serious. And we're going to talk about every week an issue that we face, and it's going to be an issue in the upcoming presidential election, and it's going to be our goal as a congregation that we're not going to yell, we're not going to mock, we're not going to make light of the other side, but what we're going to do is try to fairly, as fairly as possible, consider why this group of people believes the way they do, and this group of people believes the way they do. And we want to be fact-based and calm, and I know we can't even agree on facts now, it seems to be in, in, in our country, but we want to be calm and fair. And then look at scripture, and does, does the Bible say anything as followers of Jesus about that issue? We know it says something about the way that we treat each other, but does it say something about that, that particular issue? And then I'll, as humbly as possible, present maybe one view, my view, of how scripture might speak to that issue. And our goal would be that you, you may disagree with me. You, there may be people here who disagree with each other about that particular issue. But the goal would be that you feel like you've been fairly heard, that, that your side has been fairly expressed, and you haven't been belittled, but, but the ground has been leveled. And so here are the issues we're going to talk about. January 5th, immigration. January 12th, gun control. January 19th, health care. The 26th, wealth, wealth inequality and climate change, because they are connected. We're going to talk about them the same week. And then finally, February 2nd, we're going to talk about abortion. A question you may be asking is, Ryan, are you crazy? Ryan, do you have a death wish? Ryan, what, 
I believe that one of our callings right now is people who want to follow Jesus. We're at a Christmas Eve service tonight. We have some interest in this stuff. Is that when we enter into the Christmas story, it, it means something for our lives. And it means something for our country. And yet we have the separation of church and state and all, of course. But as people of faith, what does it look like for us to level that ground and have conversations? I want to, we made a little spoof video, like a video of the, you know, the news or an election night coverage. So I just want to show you a quick video here to promo. We have issues 2020. And, and my promise to you is that you can invite people and we're going to take away the cringe factor out of these issues. No, we're not going to agree on everything, but they're going to feel like they were fairly heard and you were fairly heard. And we're going to see if perhaps we might find a way to consider really serious issues, but as people who want to follow Jesus and the Christmas story means something to us. What do you think? Am I crazy or do you think that's something our country needs? What do you think? Is that a good idea? I heard one, there's an honest person in the front row who said, maybe. I love that, actually. That's really, that's probably the best answer at this point, to be honest with you. But we're going to try. And so, to close, I saw a Facebook post with a link to an article called A Tale of Two Christmases by Levi Rogers. And he points out how divided our nation is right now and, and how the, you know, the blaming and name-calling and um, even by people who claim to be Christians is not representative of Jesus, and, and he writes this. Somehow we hear this saying that Jesus has come to bring peace and reconcile all nations and the Jews and Greeks, men and women, white and black, straight and gay. How does it all work? I have no idea. But I do know that we are at the very least called to participate in this proclamation of peace in whatever way we can, as far as it depends on us, that means respecting and even loving our enemies and those with whom we disagree. It means being a jar of clay rather than a clanging symbol. It means, I think, maybe quieting ourselves and living out this thing day after day in humility and service of others. I think that quote captures it. It's, as it's been said, no one is right all the time and even a broken clock is right twice a day. And so we can, we can enter in the door of humility and perhaps find ourselves in the Christmas story here at the end of 2019 when we're coming up on an election year and we have conflict in our personal lives as well. And perhaps as we enter into that story and we journey with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and the shepherds and the magi, we can identify with them. We can find ourselves in that story. And we see that their world was mired in conflict and disagreement, just like ours is. But the ground was leveled. The shepherds came up and the magi came down. And perhaps as people who want to follow Jesus in this polarized world full of disagreement, we can, we can stumble onto something 
that might actually be the answer and give us a future that we all want, regardless of what our views are.